What's up, everybody? How you doing? Whoa, this thing's collapsing on me. Well, I'm glad to be back. Wasn't here Sunday. For those who were here Sunday, I was away. But I'm glad to be here. Last Wednesday was fun. I'm glad to be able to preach for you guys tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Dear Lord, we love you, Jesus. We are thankful for you, and we're thankful that we get to gather tonight as a body to worship you and learn more, learn more about you. Lord, use me tonight to communicate your word effectively. In your name, amen. All right, so the title of this message tonight is The Innocent Sacrifice. With this being Christmas season and the series titled Christmas is Coming, we're all focused on the birth of Jesus, which is great. It's what we're supposed to do. It's the greatest miracle in the entire history of the world is the birth of Jesus and the fulfillment of the prophecy about a Messiah coming to save his people. It was simply the beginning of the greatest love story ever told. Now this baby, this innocent newborn child that was born in the dirt, lived a normal human life during the time that he was alive. He endured the trials and the temptations that you and I face daily but he never gave in to sin. He never fought back. He was despised. He was rejected. He was hated. He was treated harshly. He was spit on, and he was killed. He disregarded his own life in order to obey the command from his father to go and die on a cross and free his people from the grip of sin. Now, Jesus was a beautiful gift that turned into an innocent sacrifice. Now today I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Isaiah. Pastor Danny kicked us off last week, and he talked about the significance behind the book of Isaiah. Now this book was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, and its purpose was to, it was to tell the people of Judah, the nation of Judah, and turn them back to God, to warn them of the judgment that they're facing, but to also give them the hope and remind them of the salvation that is coming through this Messiah, through Jesus. So 700 years before, somebody wrote a book full of prophecies about this coming Jesus, about this coming Messiah, before he was even human thought, and they all came to be true. Now, that's that's how I know that Jesus is real and that the gospel is true and that there's power and freedom through Jesus. So Isaiah 53 is a special chapter because it's written specifically about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And there's so much truth and so much hope that can be found in this. There's also a lot of real-life, tangible things that you can take away and read in this passage. So I'm going to do my best to communicate it to you and break it down so that you guys can grasp it and take this into your everyday lives. So if you guys have a Bible, go ahead and take it out, flip to Isaiah 53. I'm going to be beginning in verse number one. So once I see some of you guys there, then I'll start. All right, looks good enough. So Isaiah 53, starting in verse one. I'm going to kind of break it down in chunks because it's 12 verses long. So it's kind of, there's a lot to take it in. So I'm going to start out in verse one to six and then seven to nine and then 10 to 12. So verse one starts like this. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. 
and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that was kind of a lot to get us started. But my first main takeaway that I want you guys to write down and know is this. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. So I think what is so powerful about the story and the truth of Jesus is that God could have sent him as some majestic, beautiful-looking person, some really just handsome, just awesome-looking man as this, this really high power king that everyone flocked to, but he didn't do that. He chose to send him as just an ordinary man. So have any of you guys, I want to ask you this, have any, have, whoa, whoa, I can't talk right now. Have any of you guys experienced anything like rejection? Yep, we got one, we got a few. Cool, cool. All right, there we go. So with that, maybe it was at school or is at sports or it was with somebody that you like or whatever it may be, whatever it may have been, it doesn't feel good. And personally, I felt a lot of rejection in school. Hey, guys, just because I asked a question doesn't mean you guys need to get distracted. Let's rein it in. Let's rein it in. So like I said, a lot of us have faced rejection, and I've personally faced a lot of rejection growing up, especially in middle school. I was newer to the Eden Prairie School District. I was awkward. I didn't fit in. I didn't get much attention. And on my very first day of middle school, I sat alone at lunch. I was made fun of. And I was really lonely. And it was truly like my worst nightmare going into middle school. And it wasn't until a good friend of mine whose name was Ahmed approached me and asked me to be his friend and to sit with him at lunch. He sought me out during lunch and he brought me into his friend group. And if, if, if you guys are one of these people that struggle with rejection and with not fitting in, man, there's people out there that love you and that are for you. But most of all, Jesus loves you. And I say this because of what Jesus did for us. He was rejected by everybody that he came in contact with. And he was willing to accept people into his kingdom. And if you're feeling rejected, lost, and broken, and confused, or whatever it may, whatever it may be, Jesus is there for you. And in verse 2 of, of Isaiah 53, it says this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus was just a some ugly, raggedy-looking dude. But what it's saying is that Jesus did not attract people to him simply because of his looks. He attracted them because of what he did and because of the life that he lived, because he loved people, because he healed people, because he performed miracles, because he embedded himself with the people that were rejected. He healed the lost, and he made disciples of him, and he loved everyone unconditionally. John 10, verse 10 reads this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He came to this earth to combat the enemy who prowls around looking to kill and destroy, and he came to set us free and offer us life into the fullest. But there's just this one thing, that God sent Jesus to this earth to, to set people free, but everybody rejected him. We read in the text that, that the very humans that God created turned his backs on him and wanted nothing to do with what he had to offer. It was our sins that he came to set us free from that he died for. 
but we didn't, we didn't want it. Now, the main thing that sticks out to me in verses 4 to 6, specifically verse 5, was that he took the pain and the suffering that we deserved, and he bore all the pain and suffering up on the cross so that we can live in freedom. And verse 5 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Those last words, by his wounds we are healed. The wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, the wounds on his back from being whipped, on his side from being stabbed, on his head from from the crown of thorns, those are for all of us. Those heal us. Those save us. He did that for you. He did it for me. He did it for everybody. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to die for us, but he chose to because he loved us and because he wanted to obey his Father. This brings me to my next point, that Jesus was killed so that we may live. In verses 7 to 9, we read this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. The transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor any deceit was in his mouth. So think about this for a second. From the time that Jesus was born, there was a plan to kill him. We see in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, the apostle Matthew writes the first account of Jesus being born, where at the time, King Herod, who was the king, found out about the birth of Jesus. And he was afraid that one day Jesus would overthrow his throne. So what he did is he sent out his men to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. All the boys from, from ages two and below, King Herod sent out to be killed. Literally, from the time that Jesus was born, the people that he would come to save wanted him dead. And while I was preparing this message, I, I read verses 7 to 9, and it, and it just brought me to tears because Jesus did nothing wrong. He never sinned against anybody. He never caused harm to anybody. He simply came to seek and to save people. And the part that's, that's so, so powerful that I want you guys to hear is that he never fought back while he was being killed. He was wrongfully put on trial. He was wrongfully crucified, and he never opened his mouth. And he allowed it all to happen because it was according to God's plan. And then, a matter of fact, the only time that he opened his mouth was to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. In the midst of all of his suffering and all of his pain, he said, God, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. They disregarded this humanity. They gave no thought, no action to the matter of fact that they cut his life short. He was only in, like, in like, his 30s. He was young. He did nothing wrong. He just wanted to love people and live out his father's calling. The Pharisees, the religious elite that had him killed, who were so set in the religious traditions and their jealousy from Jesus that they refused to believe what he had to say. They study in their, in, their, in their Jewish religion that there's this coming Messiah, and the time that this coming Messiah was directly in front of their eyes, they turned their backs on him. They cared more about their rules and about their tradition and about their religion that they wanted nothing to do with their Savior. Now, when was the last time that somebody went in your place and blatantly took the blame for you when you did something wrong? It could have been you did something illegal. You could have just 
dis- disobeyed your parents or, or did something bad to a friend and somebody stepped in and took the blame for the consequence that you deserve. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a friend or a coach or a grandparent. And you, and you sit there and you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm off the hook. Someone just took the blame for me and you think it's going to feel good. But really, deep down, you know it doesn't feel good because you know you're wrong and that you deserve that punishment. You sit there and realize that you deserve whatever happened to the person that took the blame for you. You don't have to experience it because somebody else paid the price for you. Now, this is what Jesus did. He stepped into your place and he died for each and every one of you and he paid the price that all of us deserved. So Jesus was killed so that we could live. Not just living lives continuing down the spiraling path of destruction, but lives to live for him, for his kingdom. When you decide to follow Jesus, it means dying to your old ways and stepping into this new life that he has to offer for you guys. Now, I, got to, I had the opportunity to preach to you guys two weeks ago and share a bit about my personal story. And I mentioned that I, I was stuck in sinful patterns pretty much all through high school and all through middle school. And I would, I would go to these parties. I'd mess around with other people. I would, I, would, I would just live this double life. I got mixed in the wrong groups. And I would just lie and say that my life was great and I knew everything. And then one day, Jesus met me right where I was and he exposed all this sin that was inside that was just eating me up. And he reminded me of the penalty and the price that he paid for me even though I deserved it. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. While you guys were sinners, Christ died for you guys, all of you. He reminded me that I have a purpose. He reminded me that I matter. He reminded me that he is more satisfying than anything else in this world. Following Jesus and living your life to the fullest for his kingdom is so worth it. For my third point for tonight, it's Jesus' sacrifice so that we could be rewarded. The final verses of this chapter, um, verses 10 to 12, read this. I'm just going to read through them quick for you guys. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So when I read that, I think God's plans are perfect. The plan that he, have, that he may have for you right now might not seem perfect. You might be in the season of loneliness or, in a, or, or doubt or waiting, but I promise you that his plan is perfect, even though it might not look like it right now. When you endure faithfully and fully to the end, it will be worth it. God promises us a reward. We see in James chapter 1, verse 12, Jesus is talking, or sorry, James is talking about when we enter into heaven, we will be rewarded in receiving a crown of life when we faithfully endure the trials and the temptations of this earthly life. It was part of God's plan all along for Jesus to die on that cross. He was the offering for sin. 
Because of his death, we have freedom. We have freedom from Satan. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from all the evil. And we have the gift of eternal life in heaven with Christ Jesus. We, be, we, we get to become one with him, and we get to be rewarded in heaven. Some of you guys might know what it means to sacrifice. Maybe you, maybe you have sacrificed for a sport. Maybe it was a job, your family, for school. For some of you, for a sport, it might, it might look like spending the extra two hours in the gym at night, getting extra shots up for the game tomorrow, or, or spending extra time watching game films so you can master the opponent's team, their plays, you can learn how to guard them, or, or, or if it's for school, then you're standing up the extra three hours to study for this huge test that you need to pass. But whatever it is in your life, the, re the, the rewards for sacrificing is worth it. It will reflect on the basketball court, on the football field, on the baseball field, in the classroom, at home, at church. Whatever it looks like, when you sacrifice, you are rewarded. Now, with me being in the Army, I've heard a lot of wild stories of people in war doing some absolutely crazy things. Like people personally that I know that I've done some wild things in war, and then people that I've just read books about or seen movies about. They'll literally put their lives in danger. They'll run through death and danger and do whatever it can to complete a mission or save somebody. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but there's an award in the military that's the highest possible award that somebody can win, and it's called the Medal of Honor. And in order to receive this, one must go above and beyond their everyday call of duty for their job to distinguish themselves through valor, dedication, and sacrifice and completely disregard their own lives. And I'm going to share a story with you about a guy who won this medal back in 2005 in Afghanistan. And I know some of you guys might have heard about him. There's a movie about this mission. There's a book about it called Lone Survivor. Um, and this man's name is Michael Murphy, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. He was a United States Navy SEAL. And for those who don't know what a Navy SEAL is, they are like the top tier, like really, 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 really good people in our military. They're like, they call them tier one operators. They operate in the sea, in the sky, on the land. They can do kind of whatever. They're like the kind of guys that go in and go out and you don't even know that they were there. But anyways, he was on a special mission with three other Navy SEALs in the mountains of Afghanistan in a place called the Korangal Valley. If you've never heard of the Korangal Valley, it's called Death Valley. It's the nickname for it because it's completely occupied by the Taliban regime and as you can probably assume, not much makes it out. You go in, and a lot of people have been killed there. It's two massive mountain ranges with a valley down the middle of it. And there's American outposts on top where they would go in and try to find the terrorists. So Mike Murphy and his team were on a special mission to find some senior Taliban leader in those mountains. And they were supposed to go in, get him, and get out quickly without being noticed. And the mission went horribly wrong. They did their reconnaissance, they found the guy, they identified him, they were about to go in to get him, but then they got pulled up on by some goat herders, who they thought were just regular goat herders, but turned out to be spies for the enemy, and those guys went back to the enemy and said, there's Americans in the mountains, they're going to come get you. So quickly, the four Navy SEALs were met from anywhere between 80 to 150 Taliban fighters. They were left alone, by themselves, in the mountain, fighting on their own. Because the mountains were so large, they couldn't have any radio back to their base asking for help because it had blocked the signal. They were completely overrun, and they'd already lost one of their teammates. Now, Lieutenant Mike Murphy exposed himself to enemy gunfire from all angles, and he ran to an opening on top of a cliff 
and made a final call for help to rescue his team, and he was killed while doing so. He was shot 13 different times, had multiple different broken bones, had so many injuries, but he was still able to run to the opening to make a call while bullets were hitting all around him, and his final words were, thank you. Three out of the four Navy SEALs were killed on that day on the mountain, and there was one survivor who told the story about it to make known what happened up there. And after the story came out, Mike Murphy was awarded the Medal of Honor for the actions that he did on that day. So you're probably wondering, what does this story have to do with Jesus? So as I was reading through Isaiah 53 and verse 12, I checked out a different translation of it. And verse 12 reads this, I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Now, he exposed himself to death in order to save the men that he was commanded to take into battle. He bore the wounds and the danger and the hate from the enemy, and he counted the cost of his own life so that even one man can make it home alive to his family. And for that, he was awarded the highest honor in the United States military. And in the same way, Jesus did this for all of us. He took the sin, he took the weight of the enemy, he conquered Satan. He freed us from the grips of the law. He freed us from the grips of sin. And he is offering us a reward of eternal life with him. He's offering us grace, he's offering us mercy, his love. He's offering us forgiveness for our sins. And you guys, God honors those who endure to the end. It may be tough, but I promise you, he will reward you and he will honor you. He honored his son because he endured the suffering that he, that he went through on earth, and now he's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. So to end, this Christmas season, I just want you guys to remember this. Jesus came as an innocent baby. He endured the trials that you and I endure every day. He died for you. He conquered death, and he rose again for you guys. He is the innocent sacrifice. His gift of eternal life is far more valuable than any gift we may receive here on earth for Christmas. He did everything for each and every one of you, and he loves you all so much. I'm going to pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing night, Lord. Thank you for the truth um, that you sacrifice for us, Jesus, and that you endured on our behalf, Jesus, and that you're promising us a reward when we return home with you in heaven. God, I pray for all the students here that, that, that when they go home, that when they go to school, Jesus, that they won't forget about you, God, that their love for you won't just be in church, that it'll be out, out of church, in school, in the streets, wherever they are, Jesus. So we love you, Lord. We worship you and we praise you in this place in your name. Amen.